just as we think that the sex abuse scandals from Ireland are being dealt with, new allegations of abuse have now surfaced in Germany. These ones were immediately picked up by news agencies around the world because they implicate George Ratzinger, brother to Pope Benedict XVI, who was head of the Regensburger Domspatzen Choir for 30 years. The allegations come from a man who lived in the boarding school which is associated with the choir. The Pope's brother denies knowing anything about any sexual abuse. Of course, critics now are claiming that it's the Pope's brother and that the Pope himself was Archbishop of Munich at the time and therefore there must be a conspiracy, a cover-up, that the Pope himself is implicated. You know, the sex abuse by clergy is sick. It's horrible and vile and it needs to stop. The abuse that happened in the past needs to be dealt with and it's not acceptable to deny it. Priests who commit crimes need to pay for their crimes. But there is no cover-up and there is no conspiracy. We also must remember that we're talking about another time. Everyone my age was subject to some form of corporal punishment by parents and even teachers. That was normal in those days. That was the accepted form of discipline. I don't think it was the best form of discipline, but I don't think we can turn around 30 or 50 years later and say that it was abuse. It may have been. That's the way things were. Now, let's be clear. I'm not speaking about sexual abuse. I'm speaking about corporal punishment. When I was in elementary school, we had a teacher who hit students. This was around the time when adults were realizing that this maybe was not the best way to go. But there were some parents who agreed with the teacher. That's how they were brought up. Eventually, it stopped. Or she retired, I don't know what came first. And now, hitting is not allowed in that school. So we've grown up. And we've moved on. So let's put all of this in perspective. Crimes need to be addressed. But calling everything abuse may not be entirely accurate. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this is Salt and Light Radio. Hello, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. My name is Pedro Guevara Man. I'm Chris Dimitrenko. And shortly, our events producer, Mary Rose Bagani, will be with us. And uh, Chris, you'll be updating us on the news. Yes, uh, Pedro, I'll be telling you about what the Vatican is doing to counteract the abuse crises in Germany as well as Ireland. But also there's good news in terms of uh, an official church confirmation of an upcoming papal visit and another a traditional Anglican group that is asking to be in communion with Rome. Good. So, Chris, mm -hmm. uh, you will return with those stories in about 10 minutes. And now, Chris, um, I presume you celebrated St. Patrick's Day. Yes, soberly, but I celebrated. <laughs> soberly, thank you, because mm -hmm. it's Lent. Mm -hmm. Now, I love the fact that Ireland's national holiday is actually a feast day for a saint. To my knowledge, I think it's the only country that the national holiday is a, f a saint day. Hmm. Um, and in Northern Ireland, in the town where St. Patrick is buried, the town of Downpatrick, there is uh, a, 
uh, a museum actually is called the St. Patrick Center, and it's the only permanent exhibition in the world dedicated to St. Patrick. But oh. the center also provides reconciliation education programs for children in Northern Ireland and for youth from other countries. And today we're going to be speaking with the center's director, Tim Campbell, and that'll be in about 15 minutes. And our featured artist, Chris, today of the week is someone we've been trying to uh, have her on the program for, for a year now. She's mm. just really busy. Um, Susan Hukong Taylor, many of our listeners will know her. From World Youth Day. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. She sang the English verse of the World Youth Day 2002 theme song and also for her song, Song of the Cross. Um, and you know what? That's exactly where we're going to begin with Song of the Cross from Susan's album, I Will Praise and Follow You. Salvation 
That was Susan Hukong Taylor and Anna Da Costa with their song of the cross from their album, I Will Praise and Follow You. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio. Our email address is radio at saltandlighttv.org and our blog can be read at saltandlighttv.org slash blog. My name is Pedro and here now with me is Mary Rose. Thank you, Pedro. So we are in the season of Lent. In fact, tomorrow is the fifth Sunday of Lent and in reading descriptions for different events, this one caught my eye and, it, and, it, and it's this. For many of us, the life we long to have, the person we long to be, isn't what we experience each day. Throughout this retreat, we will look at the reasons why we settle for less than the fullness of life that God has promised and how we can practically follow Jesus on the path of life. Mm. So if that sounds like the way to go for you, and if you're free on Saturday, March 27th, go to St. Matthew's Parish in Surrey. This is for everybody who's in Vancouver. It's Surrey, BC, I was yes. going to ask you. British Columbia. For a one-day Lenten retreat presented by gifted speaker Jake Kim. Mass will be celebrated by Father Augustine at 9 a.m., followed by retreat from 10 to 4.30 p.m. No cost, but a free will offering will be taken for this for this day. Good. So Saskatoon is a buzz because of this event coming up. So as Salt and Light telling you all about it and people in Rome who have been involved with Monsignor Don Bolin, who will become bishop in Saskatoon on March 25th, 7 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern at St. Patrick's Church. This is by invitation only, but if you're one of the lucky ones who know about what I'm going to tell you now, the day before, Bishop-elect Bolin will have an ecumenical prayer service. So that's March 24th at 7 p.m. And if you can't make it to either of these, Bishop Don Bolin will celebrate the Chrism Mass at 7 p.m. Central on Monday, March 29th at St. Patrick's Church. And it's at this Mass that he'll have his first chance to preach to the whole diocese at the Austin Gathering. So this is an exciting time, and I'm sure you'll hear more about this event um, with Pedro. Yes, can I just say that I, I am going to be there at both the ordination and the yes. ecumenical service. So if you're there, and l come and say hello. Now, Toronto. Toronto has two exciting events I want to talk about. Yep. Um, there is the conference called Evangelization in the Media on March 26, organized by, Com by Compass, which is a ministry mm -hmm. for college students. It's from 9.30 to 3.30 at Father Madden Hall, the University of St. Mike's College in Toronto. Um, registration is only $5, and you have great speakers like Archbishop Thomas Collins, um, TV and radio talk show host Michael Corrin. And if you're so, if you're interested, go online at compass.dev.sa.utoronto.ca. And that's compass with two s's. That's right. Uh, I think that's the only way to spell compass. Oh, is it? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just making sure. Okay, so the second event is Saturday, March twenty seventh. This is the Diocesan World Youth Day celebration, and this is being celebrated in different dioceses across uh, in the world. Actually, yes. But for Toronto, the Office of Catholic Youth is organizing this Palm Sunday celebration. It includes catechesis, praise and worship, and mass at St. Michael's Cathedral in downtown Toronto, launching the annual World Youth Day theme as chosen by the Holy Father. Everybody's welcome, and this theme, for you who don't know, is Good Teacher, What Must I Do mm. to Inherit Eternal Life from Mark 10, 17. But to find out more info, go to ocytoronto.org. Very good. Thank you very much, Mary Rose. Uh, and Mary Rose will be back in about 40 minutes with some more events. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel and on the internet at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. My name is Pedro, and coming up, we'll be speaking with Tim Campbell, director of the St. Patrick's Center. But first, our news here is Chris Dimitrenko. 
Hi, Pedro. Now, Pedro, you know that uh, there have been a lot of papal visits announced, mm -hmm. and it's actually been sort of difficult to keep track of uh, which visits were were announced, which were rumored, yes. uh, what's been confirmed, what hasn't. There's yes. Malta, there's I'm Portugal, confused. there's yes. Spain. Um, I'm sure I'm missing another one. England. Uh, yes, yes. And, but England is the one that just this week has been officially confirmed from the church. The British government okay. has spoken about it as, as if it's uh, uh, very official and, and it's certain, but the church has finally confirmed it as well as the dates. The 16th to the 19th of September. Now this is the first papal visit to the United Kingdom since John Paul II in 1982, so it's been a while. And he's going to start in Edinburgh, where he's going to be received by the Queen. Uh, other highlights, he's going to travel to a Coventry airport for the beatification of the 19th century theologian Cardinal Newman, who mm -hmm. was a convert to Catholicism. And this will bring the cleric just one step closer to being the first non-martyred English saint since the Reformation. Really? Yes. And uh, also other highlights, he's going to visit the Archbishop of Canterbury, who is the head of the Anglican Church, at uh, Lambeth Palace. He's going to pray at the Westminster Abbey. So there's going to be an open-air mass in Glasgow, a uh, prayer vigil in London, um, also a major speech in Westminster Hall in the House of Parliament. Now the theme for this visit will be relations between the Christian churches and the major faiths. And... Uh, and this is also the first ever official papal visit to the country combining state-to-state -state discussions as well as pastoral events. So when John Paul hmm. II came in 1982, it was a pastoral event other as opposed to an official, uh, I guess you could say, diplomatic visit. Right. Now, on a related note, talking about things British, yeah. uh, I guess we could seg in segue into talking about the Anglicans. And uh, and we've all heard about Anglicanorum Chaitibus, mm -hmm. the uh, apostolic uh, constitution providing a structure for Anglicans who want to become part of, uh, in communion with Rome, but still maintain some of their, their traditions. Yes. And uh, the response so far has been, has been very strong. We've heard from the traditional Anglican communion in, in the United States, uh, Australia, I believe. And finally this week in Canada, there was a letter on uh, the Feast of St. Gregory the Great, the Apostle of the English, where uh, uh, it was a letter from the, the heads of the traditional Anglican community in Canada asking the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith to, uh, um, to implement this apostolic constitution in Canada. And so this structure will presumably be, be created here, so we'll have our own ordinariate here in Canada. There's no word yet on when these first ordinariates are exactly going to be in place. Yes, and I'm sure that when that happens, we're going to uh, feature that as a conversation on the show because uh, it's certainly big enough news. Um, thank you for that, Chris. Mm -hmm. So uh, Chris will return in about 20 minutes to tell us more, uh, more news that are coming out of the Vatican. Mm -hmm. So uh, stay tuned. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. Irish and non-Irish alike gathered last Wednesday to celebrate the Feast of St. Patrick, patron saint of Ireland, and inspiration for the St. Patrick's Centre, which is not just an interactive exhibition about the life and legacy of St. Patrick, and one of the top tourist destinations in Ireland, but it's also 
a non-profit organization that provides reconciliation education programs to thousands of children in Northern Ireland, as well as cross-border and international youth programs. Tim Campbell is the director of the St. Patrick's Centre, and he joins us now on the phone from Downpatrick, Ireland. Uh, Tim, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Pedro, thank you so much for your very kind invitation. Uh, to be with you, and what what a wonderful week that we've had with the Feast of St. Patrick. Yes, I know. Now, tell me something. Um, St. Patrick, I- he's celebrated all around the world. Why? Why is this? What is it about this this saint, uh, his legacy that 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 means that he's uh, remembered, maybe for the for the w- for the wrong reasons, but remembered all over the world? Well, you know, I, I think that uh, St. Patrick is remembered because. He brought Christianity to Ireland uh, at a time when Christianity wasn't here. We think of Ireland as being the land of saints and scholars. He's the original saint, but he's also the original scholar in that he brought the written word to Ireland. And oh, if we yeah. think of we think of history as being the written word rather than the oral tradition. And mm-hmm. Irish people are famous for having what we call um, a, a, the gift of the gab or, or a bit of the blarney. <laughs> right. Um, we, we had an oral tradition, but Patrick was the first who wrote his message down, and a, a very spiritual message, and he's accredited for bringing Christianity to certainly the northern part of Ireland. And I think what happened was that the, the Christianity that he brought here made Ireland from a, a Celtic a nation to being one which was a, a very solid Christian nation. And then uh, the light of Christianity came from Ireland, yeah. and it was reintroduced to Dark Age Europe. So uh, Patrick began the light that uh, that eventually burned so brightly all over mm-hmm. uh, Western Europe. Mm-hmm. Now you did you did mention that you are in Northern Ireland. I, I, I suspect that a lot of people don't realize, um, or maybe don't even think about the, the, the Republic of Ireland versus Northern Ireland. And you are in the town of Downpatrick, which is in Northern Ireland, and that's where St. Patrick lived, and that's where he's buried. Correct. That is correct. We are in the northern part of Ireland. Uh, the island of Ireland is actually divided by jurisdiction in that the northern part, the six counties in Northern Ireland, uh, continue to be ruled within the United Kingdom, uh-huh. uh, whereas the southern uh, part of Ireland uh, is a republic in its own right. Um, and uh, I know that many of your listeners uh, will be thinking, well, Northern Ireland is the part where they had the, uh, yes. the troubles and yes. all that stuff. Yes. I have to say, happily, that those days are you know long behind us. There's a whole generation of people who are growing up now who have never seen any of this and never experienced any of it. And recently, Belfast was voted the second safest city in the world oh, after uh, after Tokyo. Wonderful. So, yeah. so it's, it's a beautiful part of the world. And you are right, there, there is a, an international border that goes through uh, the, the northern part of the island. But these days, you know, you don't really notice it at all. There are no checkpoints or okay. passports or anything okay. like that. And often people arrive here and they, they don't realize that they're actually in just in another part of Ireland. Right. No, thank you for that explanation, because you're right. I think most of us outside of Ireland don't really understand. We hear about the struggles or about the struggles of the past, and, and, and there's some confusion. Now, your center, you run reconciliation workshops. Now, is, is the reason why you said that there's a new generation of people with a different outlook, partly because of reconciliation workshops like yours? Well, you know, the the one thing that you cannot um, assume 
uh, in any situation where there has to be people coming together is that you know once the Good Friday Agreement, as it was uh, as it was coined, mm-hmm. was signed, and that people came to the table and started talking, that somehow you can assume that reconciliation will automatically, you know, uh, there'll be a happy ever after. Right. Uh, bringing people together is something that continually needs attention, mm-hmm. um, and there will always be pockets of people for whom reconciliation is not. The, the most favourable option. Okay. So what we, in our part of the world, although there is a generation of people who are growing up who have not first-hand experienced, um, you know, what had happened previously, uh, we continue to have to work very hard for peace and to bring people together. And that is where St. Patrick comes in because uh, St. Patrick is a common denominator. How uh-huh. wonderful to think that his message continues to be relevant uh, in the northern part of Ireland where he he started his mission, uh, where he created the first church in Ireland uh, and where he is buried. But his mission continues uh, here through the St. Patrick Centre and through various other charitable organisations. Right. Now, let, let me just remind our listeners, we're, we're speaking with Tim Campbell. He's the director of the St. Patrick Centre uh, in, in, in Ireland, in Northern Ireland. Now, tell me, uh, Tim, what uh, w- uh, maybe briefly explain what the workshops are like or what the the programs that you offer um are like sure well we uh, we encourage people to know more about the history of st patrick um previously i suppose in this part of the world st patrick is not something that has been mutually recognized as being a celebration for all people mm. so uh, there's many things that we do here we we have various workshops which where we bring over 5,000 young people together from both traditions to be able to learn about their common Christian heritage. Okay. Uh, and as I say, what better role model for modern, modern Northern Ireland than, than Patrick, someone from Britain who became the patron saint of Ireland. You can't get any more cross-community than that. Um, at, so we bring them together. We also have a cross-border program that brings people from uh, Southern Ireland and Northern Ireland, the children, together. Okay. And on St. Patrick's Day last Wednesday, when we celebrated in our part of the world, it's a day when it's not a day for politics. It's a day for people coming together. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a day when we're trying to encourage people to show uh, Christian charity. Mm-hmm. It's a day when our churches all come together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the St. Patrick's Day parade here and the way you celebrate is different to any other part of the world because we have to go out of our way to make sure that it's inclusive for all people. Right. Uh, so we don't fly, for example, the tricolour flag, which represents the Republic of Ireland. We fly St. Patrick's traditional flag, which is a white flag with a red cross on it right. at the parade. Uh, and if you do it that way, it encourages people from all traditions to come together. Um, and I'm also very pleased to say that every year there is a, a walk from the first church in Ireland at Saul. Uh-huh. Um, Saul is Irish for barn. It was in a barn that Patrick created the first church. Okay. And, and that, uh, that site is almost 1,600 years old. Uh-huh. Um, and there is a walk from the first church. People from all faiths and traditions come together. They walk to Down Cathedral, a medieval cathedral where uh-huh. St. Patrick is buried. Uh-huh. And they have a, a cross-community service, which is led by a different um, member of a different faith every year. Uh, and the traditions here are very strong of bringing people together. Uh-huh. Uh, the Dean of Down Cathedral, it's an, it's an Episcopalian church, but the Dean of Down Cathedral has a very strong relationship with Canon Sean Rogan, who is the local parish priest. Okay. Uh, to such an extent, Pedro, that when um, Dean, the Dean's daughter was getting married, the person who gave her away was uh, Canon oh, Sean Rogan. Really? What you a know. great witness to 
to the to the reconciliation, I guess. Um, now, people who are not in Ireland are also able to participate in your programs, not just as participants in the cross-border um, programs, but also through the Friends of St. Patrick. Can you tell us a bit of the, about that? Yeah, well, we had so many people coming to us. We are a registered charity, and people were coming and saying, we would like to be able to help and support you. And, and one of uh, the people who came to visit us a number of years ago was the Archbishop of uh, Milwaukee, Timothy Dolan. Oh, yeah. And he went back to Milwaukee, and he said, you know, I would really like you to be able to come to Milwaukee Irish Fest. And mm. we came to the Irish Festival. We met up with uh, the Archbishop again. We started uh, a chapter there of people with an interest in the northern part of Ireland, and he just wanted to know more. I mean, many people have an interest in Ireland, but the northern part is this little blank area that they don't know much about. Uh And it's a wonderful part of the world, which is extremely welcoming. The centre hosts, uh, it kind of becomes a base for our friends, so that whenever they come to Ireland, they come and visit us, and we help them you know, to be able to sort out um, their their arrangements. But we also have a programme where we encourage them to be able to do good works within their own communities. Okay. So part of it, for example, is um, also a Young Ambassador program. So we've set uh, about seven of these chapters up. We're trying to get one started in Toronto. Mm. Um, and we, it looks like we're making quite good headway to do that. Good. Um, and I visit a couple of times a year. We have a journal that comes out a couple of times a year. And we have a Young Ambassador program, and that means that a young person from the chapter is chosen to come over to, to this part of the world and to learn about our various traditions and faiths here. And uh, and they go back and uh, they're able to to tell people about what it is that we're doing. Mm-hmm. So it, it's building a personal relationship, uh, both to St Patrick and to the northern part of Ireland. Yeah, wonderful, and also to encourage them to 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 focus on their own communities. That's a wonderful uh, uh, opportunity, I guess. Tim, that's all the time we have, but uh, I hope that our listeners, who are mainly in Canada. Uh, are intrigued by this enough to uh, find out more. So thank you so much for sharing uh, a little bit of what you do with us. That was Tim Campbell, director of the St. Patrick Center. He joined us on the phone from his home in Downpatrick, Northern Ireland. If you want to find out more about the St. Patrick Center or about the Friends of St. Patrick, you can go to their website. That's stpatrickcenter.com. That's the British spelling of center, C-E-N-T-R-E. stpatrickcenter.com. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Susan Hukong Taylor, with her song, Each Time I Say Jesus.
That was Each Time I Say Jesus by Susan Hukong Taylor and Anna Da Costa from their album I Will Praise and Follow You. We will be speaking with Susan Hukong Taylor in about five minutes, but first, here is Chris with some more news. Uh, that's right, Pedro. Last week, we didn't really have a chance to speak about the Vatican's response to uh, the sex abuse crisis, but because there's been a lot of information, uh, misinformation out there uh, about what the church is doing, I think it's worth uh, going back to this past weekend. Mm-hmm. On March 12th, the Vatican responded to this re- to a report that there was this German priest in the Archdiocese of Munich who uh, was allowed to return to pastoral work. This was during the time that Pope Benedict XVI was um, Archbishop Ratzinger uh, of Munich. Now, the Vatican Press Office uh, noted that it was uh, an archdiocesan official who had returned the priest to ministry and that this person has taken full responsibility for what they've called a serious error and that um, Archbishop Ratzinger, or, or Cardinal at the time, was not involved. Uh, there's something like 2,000 priests in the Archdiocese at the time. So this was something that had been delegated and he wasn't aware of it. And uh, it was after uh, uh, Cardinal Ratzinger had left the diocese to serve in the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in the Vatican that uh, this person faced some new accusations and was eventually suspended from the priesthood. Now, um, in terms of, of trying to link the Pope with, with uh, uh, these, these individuals who, who have been charged with sex abuse, Father Federico Lombardi, the Vatican spokesperson, says that, quote, it is evident that over the recent days some people have sought with considerable persistence uh, to, to connect the Holy Father in questions of abuse to any objective observer. It is clear that these efforts have failed. And Father Lombardi basically saying that, that there's some malicious intent behind uh, what is what uh, some people in the media, particularly the German media, are trying to do. Um, on the same weekend, uh, a d- an official from the, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith who deals with cases of, of sex abuse spoke with the Italian Catholic newspaper Avenire and gave a really uh, interesting interview uh, talking, giving some sort of background to what the church is doing about this. First of all, he defended these norms that were created in 2001 by then Cardinal Ratzinger through the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Um, there's been some, uh, I, he says, you know, some misinterpretation of what those norms are. There was a, a documentary, I think, on the BBC a few years ago talking about this, about a secrecy in terms of these investigations that the church is doing. Mm-hmm. And he's saying that any kind of secrecy uh, that uh, that would be sort of imposed with, within church authorities does not mean that the bishops or others are exempt from reporting these crimes to civil authorities. So it would be sort of discretion within the church, uh, but still they would not be keeping these crimes from civil authorities. Uh, but the church, the church does have its own internal investigation. In fact, since 2001, it's processed around 3,000 cases dealing with crimes committed in the last 50 years. Uh, just 10% of those are actual pedophilia with pre pu- mm-hmm. prepubescent children. Right. It's another misconception is, is the numbers there. Yeah. Um, the good news, uh, there doesn't seem to be a lot of good news lately, but uh, comparatively speaking is that the number of, of sex abuse cases has declined. Last year there was 223 cases. The majority of those 3,000 cases over the last 50 years have actually been from the United States. But by last year, that number had dropped to 25% of the total. So they have been responding, and those numbers have been decreasing from the U.S. 
Now, there's a trend towards a growing number of countries reporting cases, I guess now that the stigma has, has been diminished and people are speaking up about it, but a drop in the overall number of accusations. And of course, uh, he said, and it's worth repeating, that uh, a small minority of the world's 400,000 priests, there's that many priests in the world, uh, have been accused of, of any kind of crime at all. And, it this, and he said that, quote, this does not correspond to the perception that is created when these sad cases occupy the front pages of the newspapers. So yeah. it's important to keep that perspective in mind of all yes. the good priests who are out there. Um, and one last thing, um, on during the general audience this past Wednesday, uh, on St. Patrick's Day, uh, the Holy Father uh, announced that on the solemnity of St. Joseph, just a few days later, that he would be releasing the, uh, his letter uh, uh, about the, the sex abuse crisis in Ireland. And he said of this letter, I ask all of you to read it for yourselves with an open heart right. and in a spirit of faith. My hope is that it will help in the process of repentance, healing, and renewal. Again, this letter uh, being directed towards the church in Ireland, but now taking on a particular rev re relevance for uh, many other countries in Europe which are who are dealing with this. Yeah, well, thank you. Again, another uh, news item that is evolving and developing, so I'm sure we'll uh, keep talking about it as, it as as we get more information. Thank you so much, Chris. That was our Salt and Light Radio News producer, Chris Dimitrenko. If you'd like to comment on anything you hear on this program, just remember, send us an email, radio at saltandlighttv.org. Hi, this is Father Tim Devine, and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159, XM 117. In 2001, I had the wonderful opportunity to attend a conference of the Catholic Association of Musicians with John Michael Talbot in his hermitage in Arkansas, and I met a lot of people, but one of them would fly back to Canada with me, and there began a friendship that took us through World Youth Day 2002 and many, many other wonderful events and opportunities. I don't even know where to begin except to say that Susan Hukong-Taylor joins me now on the phone. Susan, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Thank you so much, Pedro. Thank you very much. Do you remember that plane ride back to Toronto? <laughs> I remember it well. I remember what a, what an incredible uh, providential convergence of people at yes. that event, and then yes. to know that we would have we would have been on the plane ride together and talking about that event, the uh, the what would you call it, the launch of of uh, World You Say yes. in two thousand and one. That's right. And, uh, you know, having those conversations and you know all the things that sort of blossomed out of that were really remarkable, yes. to say the very least. Okay, let us let me back up and, and uh, let's look at uh, the Hu Kong-Taylor household. What was it like to grow up in the Hu Kong-Taylor household? Well, in my <laughs> as a young, I was the youngest, and um, you know, my, my background is uh, Jamaican and Chinese, so that's the Hu Kong, yeah. and Taylor is my married name. So we, you know, um, always a lot of music in the house. Uh, my parents love music and sent all of us through music lessons. I was, being the youngest, I was sort of the last to go through um, piano lessons, and but I got signed up because my uh, sister and brother would finish practicing whatever they were practicing on the piano, and then I would get up and play what they were playing. Oh. And so, so, so that was when I was around four, and so my, so my 
parents said, oh, we better, we better sign her up, too. And it looks like something's going on there. And so I, right. went, to, I went through for piano lessons. And um, you know, my lovely teacher, Miss Caruso, um, it's just, it's just a lovely, lovely lady, okay. um, brought us through. And, you know, it was, it was wonderful. I picked up the guitar when I was 11. And, yeah, and, yeah, that, okay, I, so I just, yeah that was it for So me. very musical household. What was it like uh, in terms of faith? Well, I mean, we were certainly um, definitely what I guess you would call a cradle Catholic and, and going to church from when I was small and started singing in church early. And, and I think that like when I was around 11 or 12, pretty soon after I started playing the guitar, and uh, I think that that was an amazing thing uh, for me because it was wonderful to have that vantage point of the Mass uh-huh. As as a as a music minister, and I would never have thought of all that when I was twelve years old. But growing up from that and and seeing the mass from that vantage point and learning the mass from that vantage point was very important for me. Uh, and and very it was it was so huge to have that experience, and it certainly has stayed with me until this day. So you were you were already playing at mass as a as a young teenager. Yes, I was. I was. I was playing, and yes, I was doing a lot. Actually, by the time I was sixteen years old. Now, sorry, can I ask you then? What? What? At what point? Because uh, you also studied music at university, right? I, yes, I went to Humber. So, did, were you thinking of being a musician, or were you thinking? Sorry, at what point did the did it shift for you? I want to do Catholic music, or or muse dedicate my music to the Lord. Well, that's that's a really good question, because I think for me there has always been a thread running through anything that I've written. I've, I've always, that was sort of a way of learning for me, was to write music. Um, you know, playing the guitar and putting chords together, learning chords, and then singing along, that's the way I, I kind of got to, um, how would you say, ingest this guitar, this thing. I mean, I really fell in love with the guitar, and I, right. I, I wanted to know everything I could know about it, so... I I would write and and I was always I feel like my music was always in some way in conversation with God. I did a lot of things. I went and I studied jazz and and was certainly immersed in that world for a while. But even then, like my first album, Shayla, is is um, you know many of the songs you would say if you were looking on at, at that album as a Catholic, you would understand many of the themes. Maybe if you weren't a Christian or a Catholic, you wouldn't necessarily see all of that, but then it would just be, you know, kind of a world music jazz album. Right. And uh, and so I was, I think at that point, kind of doing things and writing kind of cloak and dagger, you know, it's like the message is there if you want to see it. And yeah. And it was after that album, really, which is, I guess, quite a bit later on, that, that uh, because that was you know, just around 2000 that I really said and really heard the call to say, you know what, why don't you try? And, uh, you know, as beautiful as this is, Susan, can you, can you surrender this and can you do more? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so, so, God said to me. so that was around the time when we, when we met, you had already, yep. you'd, you, that was <laughs> the beginning. Enough, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, just a reminder for anyone that might be joining the program at this time. Uh, my name is Pedro. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio, and we're speaking with our featured artist of the week, Susan Hukong Taylor. Now, Susan, a lot of the music that you do, at least since I've known you, is with your partner, your partner in crime, Ana da Costa. Can you tell me a little <laughs> bit about that relationship? Oh, my goodness. Well, um, um, we met at St. Catherine of Siena in Mississauga, and that was St. Catherine of Siena is a parish that I grew up in and have been doing music in at since I was 12 years old, as I said. 
and um, met I met Anna um, on one of the one of the Sundays really, and and she was a songwriter as well. Um, yeah, and it was around that time I was sort of thinking, you know, I want to I want to do I want to do more. I want to uh, get more involved, I guess, and I have all of this knowledge from what I've learned, and you know, I, I want to do something with the church, kind of. Mm-hmm. So we decided to produce. We at the church decided to do a Christmas album and worked on that together, and we and our friendship just sort of right. took off from there, and. Uh, and she was very always encouraging me, and she would look at the stuff that I'd written from years ago in terms of, you know, um, worship music and reflective music, spiritual music. So what are you doing with all of this stuff? And I would shrug my shoulders and say, I don't know. Anyway, right. so she kind of was there kind of uh, encouraging me, invited me into doing um, music at a chaplaincy downtown, King Bay Chaplaincy. Yeah. And that was an ecumenical... Um, chaplaincy for all of the bank people working in the bank districts so mm-hmm. it was servicing quite a large group of people there's about 50,000 people that work down there and on Fridays we would do praise and worship down in the bank tower and people would come on their lunch hour it was yeah. really an incredible thing so so that was that was a big part and you know we kind of went from there and went to doing stuff in the Lift Jesus Higher Rally you know right. all of these sorts of things and things just kept on going and a lot of, a lot of the songwriting you, you do together um the the album that we've been listening to, I will praise and follow you. Um, yes. Um, I, I I think it's wonderful. Um, and I know that you've so that was was that your first kind of a, a collaborative album with Anna that was a, a worship album. Would you say? Yes. Yes. That, that was it. That definitely. And then since since then you you worked on Fiat. Yes. Uh, which is your Mary album, and then your Divine Mercy Chaplet. That's- that's right. And I know that you're working on a new album as we speak. That's correct. Yes, we're, uh, we're co-producing uh, Anna's solo, solo album. I'm very excited about that. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, uh, Anna's a great storyteller, and uh, she just has a, um, a real transparency about her work. And um, so it's going to be an album of her music and... Uh, very, I think, uh, very much focused and very vulnerable album. Very focused in on on her stories and uh, you know not um, overly produced or you know uh-huh. a ton of instrumentation, but uh, just really trying to get to the heart of the things that she is saying. Uh, she's a youth minister and she sings a lot of these songs in the context of her youth ministry. And, right. and there's really been a call for her to put these things down on. Uh, I guess on hard drive, <laughs> we don't put them on tape anymore. Yeah, no, that yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, so we're uh, we're doing it. We're oh, good. It. I'm looking forward to hearing that. Uh, it's a uh, first. It's a good opportunity to have you back on the show with Anna yeah. or have her. Yes. Um, so, so let's make that promise that we'll have Absolutely. you back with an excuse to listen to some new music. So, Susan, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. It's 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 great uh, being your friend. But thank you for agreeing to being with us today. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me, and we're looking forward to the next time. Thank you. Okay. Um, that was our Featured Artist of the Week, Susan Hukong Taylor. You can find out more about Susan and her music and how to purchase her music at her website, uh, the website with Anna DaCosta, deepwatersound.ca. And now, as promised, uh, well, it's not promised, but we always uh, play a song after the interview here now is Susan Hukong-Taylor with Anna DaCosta with the title track of their album, I Will Praise and Follow You. I will praise and follow 
Artist of the Week, Susan Hukong Taylor, with Ana da Costa, with their song, I Will Praise and Follow You. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio. Our email address is radio at saltandlighttv.org. Our blog can be read at saltandlighttv.org slash blog. And here now, back with us, is Mary Rose to tell us about something that's happening in Calgary. That's right. The Diocese of Calgary's Youth Ministry Office is very busy right now, and they have at least three major and really exciting events they've told me about. And I had a chat earlier this week with Mary Ann Donna Leshen, who's the Director of Youth Ministry for the Diocese of Calgary. And she told me all about these three exciting events. Hello, Mary Ann, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, it's a pleasure. Now, I understand you're just gearing up for a very big concert event in the summer, so why don't you tell us about that? 
Yeah, the event is actually called One Rock, and it was um, the brainchild, really, of one of our priests who moved to um, a rural area northeast of Calgary called Rockyford, Alberta. Uh, One Rock is an opportunity for the young adults of the Diocese of Calgary and beyond to come and to really be refreshed in the Lord at the end of a uh, at the end of the summer and before a new year of studies begins and before people get back to work. Uh, we have Matt Marr, Steve Angrizano, and Kaylee Rain coming uh, for that event. We'll also have Mass with Bishop Henry. The uh, small church of St. Rita's in the town of Rockyford is going to be turned into a, a day of um, prayer with Taze prayer and praise and worship. And the event is also a kickoff to World Youth Day 2011 in Spain. Oh, that's great. So you mean that you'll be referring to that or preparing for that for next year? Absolutely. That's great. Now, the event itself is August 21st. Is that right? That's correct. Now, I know earlier than that, in, on, in June, you have another initiative the very first time you'll be using horses, actually, as part of this event. Can you tell us about that? Yes, actually. Uh, the event is called um, uh, Palio, Palio Calgary. Uh, many po- people believe that Palio is a horse race, but it's actually a banner, a cloth that's cherished by the winner of a competition, and the Palio is usually won in a race or contest, often a horse race, as in the famous Palio of Siena. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the Siena um, horse race, this is being modeled after it, we hope to have uh, 10,000 people there. It's a family event to draw the people of the diocese together uh, you know, just to come, there will also be the outdoor mass with Bishop Henry at that event as well, but really to build the spirit of the Diocese of Calgary. Does that mean everybody gets a horse and they, you know, they do, so almost like a, you're betting on a horse? Is that how it works? That's correct, actually. <laughs> Every parish of the diocese will um, have the opportunity to have their own horse, and so the parish horses will be racing against one another. Oh, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. you also have, uh, you're, you're busy this summer because you'll be having, hosting 60 Catholic Christian Outreach members in Calgary from June to August. So tell us what that's about. Yes, CCO is coming to Calgary. Um, this is um, a Canada-based uh, organization, and they're coming, first of all, uh, as impactors into the diocese. They're going to be uh, hosted by nine different parishes within the diocese, and uh, their whole mission really is about evangelization. They will be running faith studies in the parishes, uh, doing outreach activities uh, in the parishes and in the schools, and they also run a program called Courageous Catholics, where some of the young people will come together. They will be uh, trained so that they can keep this ongoing um, after the impactors leave at the end of August. Now, at the end of August, we actually have the expansion team coming into the University of Calgary, and uh, they will be there permanently. We do um, have sort of a director for that coming in. I don't know that I can give the name out right now, but uh, it's all pretty exciting because the University of Calgary is very open to the whole CCO group coming and being there. Now, who's involved in all of these preparations? This sounds like a really busy calendar for you this summer. And how, so how's your team there, your youth ministry team? How's everybody working on, yeah, on all of this? You know, we're relying on a lot of volunteers. And as we tell people about the events, they're really getting excited about it. And I'm really amazed at the beautiful things that God is doing through the people coming forward and 
responding um, to the calls. I know for myself, for the One Rock event, I probably have a minimum of 50 people already who have already started to do the background work uh, for the event. I know the Palio is the same, and they, they're drawing from a totally different group of people. So it's really quite exciting to see what's happening here. So I'd just like to remind uh, our listeners that the websites to look up, if you're interested in finding out more about Palio Calgary and uh, the event with Matt Mahar, One Rock, would be paliocalgary.ca and onerock.ca. And any questions for Marianne, how can they contact you? They could contact me through email at info at onerock.ca or um, they could call me at the office at 403-218-5516. Thank you so much, Marianne. It's been a pleasure. So again, that was Marianne Donaleshin, Director of Youth Ministry for the Diocese of Calgary. Thank you very much, Mary Rose Bacani, our Salt and Light Radio n- events producer. And remember, let us know about your events. Send us an email, radio at saltandlighttv.org. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. And I'm Mary Rose Bacani. Now be sure to tune in tomorrow, Sunday, March 21st, for an all-new Witness interview with... Bishop-elect, if you were paying attention, from Saskatoon, Don Bolin. Yes, he's the new Bishop of Saskatoon, as we said earlier, who will be ordained on Thursday. But he will also be Father Tom Rosica's guest on Witness tomorrow, Sunday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern. So actually, that ordination will air later on in the month, but it will be webcast live on the internet at saltandlighttv.org on Thursday, March 25th at 7 p.m. Central. That, that's 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific, but you're jumping ahead, Pedro, because on Sunday after Witness, stay tuned for Lexio Divina with Toronto's Archbishop Thomas Collins. Yes, sorry, Mary Rose. <laughs> this month, Archbishop Collins is looking at Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 to 30, the parable of the talents. So that's tomorrow, Sunday, March 21st at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 and 9.30 p.m. Pacific. And next week is Holy Week, and that means that this Thursday in Rome is the celebration of Youth Day. Yes, so Pope Benedict XVI will meet with the youth of Rome at St. Peter's Square, and we will be broadcasting that event at 8 p.m. Eastern on Thursday, March 25th. And on Saturday, March 27th, we will air a feature-length documentary on the life of St. Louis de Montfort. Yes, so that's called Jesus Living in Mary, the Life of St. Louis of Montfort on Saturday, March 27th at 8 p.m. Eastern. And finally, since next Sunday is Palm Sunday, a reminder that all the Holy Week events with the Holy Father will be airing on Salt and Light Television live. Yes, and I repeat live because that means that the Palm Sunday Mass will air <laughs> at 3 in the morning, 3 a.m. Eastern, but check out our listings for all the repeat broadcasts. And we don't usually do this, but we wanted to remind you that Salt and Light Radio is produced and operated by Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation, a charitable organization devoted to spreading the flavor of the gospel and the light of Christ to the world. And that means that we need your support. If you like what you're listening to, please consider supporting our ministry. So visit our website, saltandlighttv.org, or call toll-free 1-888-302-7181 to make a donation or to volunteer to spread the word. Every dollar and helping hand is needed and appreciated, and you'd be amazed at how much we can do with very little money. 
So thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening and all, for all your prayers and support. I'm Mary Rose Buchanan. And I'm Pedro Guevara Mann. And this has been Salt and Light Radio.